Welcome to CoachCast from IECL by GrowthOps. CoachCast is a source of knowledge, insight, and wisdom for coaches and leaders looking to go further. In our podcasts, we take an immersive dive into the minds of extraordinary people and bring you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and influential coaches and thought leaders. In our studio today, we speak with John Raymond, who is the head of Asia for IECL, a role that sees John leading the coaching and leadership function. John is an ICF PCC credentialed coach for individuals and teams with thousands of hours and two decades of experience. He is part of the faculty delivering IECL coach training and ongoing professional development. John is a trained coaching supervisor and holds a master's degree in coaching psychology. His work has spanned all leader levels in most industries and many countries around the Asia Pacific region. Let's hear from him. John Raymond, welcome to IECL Coachcast. Thank you. So, John, you're currently based in Singapore, coaching and developing leaders all over Asia. How are you noticing coaching is different across Asia? It's interesting that you ask that because coaching in itself is, you know, fundamentally the same. But when you apply it in different contexts, there are some nuances that I'm discovering, only having kind of being out of Australia and, and living in Singapore, that I need to adapt my coaching too. So if I can give you a very small example. So Singapore obviously sits next to the largest Muslim country in the world, Indonesia. And when you are coaching in Islamic cultures, obviously you can do it. But one of the things that doesn't sit well is goals. Now, goals are fundamental to coaching, obviously. um, And it's what we've all been taught. It's what we teach through our programs. But in Islam, it's less about having a goal, which is more about an outcome, an outcome and a result, and more about having, like, what is your intent? What is your thought? What is your, um, you know, the positive intent is the language that they use. So from a coaching perspective, you need to adjust the way that you think about goals and how you set coaching up simply because it doesn't land as well um, in that particular culture. So there's, some, there's definitely some cultural nuances. And I think the other thing that I'm noticing is that I've, you know, grew up coaching in Australia. Australia is one of the more mature markets in the world. And of course, Asia being this diverse range of, of countries, the level of maturity in coaching across, across the Asian countries is really, really varied. So again, like I've, I've got to adapt even how I talk about coaching, how I introduce coaching. It's going to take me back 10, maybe 15 years to where Australia is for some emerging countries. And then you've got some developed countries like Singapore that are reasonably sophisticated. The government sponsors coaching and has been doing so for 15 years. So again, it's a relatively mature market. So you've got this incredible range of, uh, of maturity, of, uh, of understanding of coaching, and certainly the application of coaching. Could you give an example of where you're modifying the way that you're framing or pitching coaching for a market that's less mature? How might you do that in a practical way? Yeah, good, good question. I think one of the things, and generalising about um, Asian cultures, is that mentoring and, you know, a sense of hierarchy and a sense of learning from elders is 
a far more accepted way of learning and developing in organisations but in society more, more general. Um, so in emerging countries, what I find is that if I start with mentoring, they understand what I'm trying to do in terms of a development or, or learning and then I can move into coaching and describing it as a more of a questioning. And that, that gap is actually quite big. So where in Australia and a lot of the Western countries, you'll find that people will understand the difference between mentoring and coaching um, quite easily. In a lot of Asian countries, you're almost met with a bit of a blank look. Like, why would you ask me questions? Why wouldn't you just tell me that? tell me the answer. So it's almost a, a, a smaller step from, from the mentoring which they understand to a coaching which is very kind of new and often foreign. So the assumptions that, I, that I've been able to make in Australia of people being able to, 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 to make that um, kind of leap of understanding from mentoring and coaching, I've got to take baby steps to, to get them there. So just bringing you back to Australia and Sydney specifically, yeah. you spent the last couple of days attending the evidence-based coaching conference at the University of Sydney. Yeah. Our listeners would be very interested to hear any insights, particularly for those who couldn't make it, um, like myself, <laughs> <laughs> any insights that you have to share from from attending. Yeah, so look, it was a, I mean, it was a bittersweet experience because for those that, that know the, um, the University of Sydney Masters program, they would know that Tony Grant is is synonymous with that. Um, he passed away earlier this year, so it was very much a, a, a tribute to, to, to him. But his request, um, certainly before he died, was that not only was it celebrating the 20-year anniversary of the coaching psychology unit, but... Um, you know what does the next twenty years hold, and so what is what is the future of the future of coaching? There are some really interesting things that are that are starting to emerge um, because there was some some global leaders like um, Tatiana Bakarova, um, for for those that know her work, she's done a lot of work in in developmental coaching. Um, she, I'm not too sure of her ethnicity, but she has a strong Eastern European accent, which is, um, which is wonderful to, to hear. Um, she challenged us to, to think about um, the popularism that is starting to creep into coaching and how people are appealed or, or have an appeal to that, an attraction to that. And so she talked about things that we're all very comfortable with, things like positive psychology, mindfulness, even coaching supervision, and how popularism is starting to kind of creep into those and um, undermine some of the evidence base. So there were some wonderful presentations that really challenged the way that we thought about coaching. So obviously the evidence base that Sydney Uni has provided for the coaching industry more, more broadly is highly regarded right across the globe and we still need to have a critical eye on that to make sure that we are, you know, always honing our craft, I guess. So don't be complacent just because we've got, you know, some of the best education in the world. There was a lot of talk about technology um, and in particular AI, and a lot of differing opinions as it emerges in the coaching industry, whether it can actually do the work of a coach or not. My personal opinion with that is that I think it absolutely can, and very quickly it will be. That wasn't necessarily the opinion of, of everyone else in the, in the group, but it was certainly a, a topic that was hotly debated in the, the conference. I think the other, the other thing that, um, as you will know, is, is near and dear to my heart is systems thinking. And 
there's an increased appreciation of the system in in coaching. And one of the the presentations that really brought this home was some research around resilience. And so when I went to to uni almost uh, 10 years ago and learned about resilience, they look at it as an individual character trait. You know, are you as an individual resilient? You know, do you have resilience to be able to um, you know, manage setbacks and recover, and and you know, it's not a it's not a foreign concept by any means. But what the research is starting to move into is looking at resilience from a systems perspective, and so it's it's less about your individual capability, and more about the resources and your resourcefulness, your your capability to access those resources to manage whatever the the challenge is. So thinking of even some well-defined constructs that sit within coaching and looking at that through a systems lens. Now, I know Sydney Uni tends to have a bias towards a system lens, which is probably what I've inherited with my bias towards a system lens. But what it's, what it's starting to do is to really challenge and, I, I guess, challenge us as practitioners about how we think about a lot of the constructs that underpin coaching. Even, even thinking about goals, for example, is, again, thinking about it from a more systems, systems lens. And once we start to do that and once we start to, um, uh, I guess, appreciate what the system is requiring from a goal, um, it does change the way that we coach. I think the, the other one which is not a, not a new construct as well, so Dr Sean O'Connor, um, his, his uh, PhD was around the ripple effect of coaching. And so he, he did a keynote presentation yesterday. And what his research showed is that the leaders that were coached not only got benefit from the coaching, but the people that they were connected to also received a, a, a reasonably significant benefit, um, particularly around wellbeing, but also goal attainment and some other things. So he said, you know, when we think about coaching, we think, you know, who's the person that needs coaching? You know, who's the, who's the new leader or who's the, the, the one that's having some performance challenges or who's that individual that, that needs coaching? And he said, when you look at it from a system lens and look at it from that kind of ripple effect of coaching, actually maybe what we should be thinking is, you know, who are the influences in the system? Who are the nodes in this network that can influence and connect with the most number of people? Because if we coach them, we're getting a bigger bang for our buck. Now, again, that kind of fundamentally changes the way we think about who we coach, how we coach, the purpose of the coaching. So some some lovely, uh, I guess, mental challenges or conceptual challenges about, um, about how we coach. Mm, fascinating. Yeah. You mentioned Tony Grant a moment ago yeah. and, you know, a visionary in the field of coaching has had a huge impact on so many people and I know a huge impact on you. What was the most valuable lesson that he taught you or lessons? Yeah, look, so many, so many. I, um, <laughs> I remember... Um, I was in a. I was at a conference. If I could just tell a story first, and then and then maybe share what I learned. But I was at a conference uh, in the US, and um, just sitting around a table at 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 lunch, and um, they I said that I was. Well, they knew I was from from Australia. And I said I was attending the, the the Sydney Uni Masters, and they said, "Oh, do you know Tony Grant?" 
And so, you know, he's this kind of movie star, you know, this, this, this international guru, man of mystery. And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I said, what's he like? And I go, oh, my God, he's a grumpy old man. Like, you know, he's just, he's just this very ordinary and for anyone that knows his background, you know, he was a carpenter and then he was a builder and then he decided to become a psychologist and, and moved, into, um, uh, moved into the coaching area and, and basically pioneered it. Um, but look, I, I think that, that the thing that he probably taught me the most, and there were, there's, there's two. One is, is an appreciation and a love for the evidence and a passion for understanding the research and how that can inform our, our practice more, more broadly. Um, but I think the other thing that, that he really shared is don't take it too seriously. You know, yes, we've got to have rigor. Yes, we've, you know, we've got this wonderful evidence base that is building that is going to professionalise the industry and all of us have a role to play with that. But, you know, never forget that it's just two human beings and at the end of the day we're just doing our best and coaching is one of those wonderful conversations that um, not only help the coachee or the counterpart but it helps the coach as well just to be their best and contribute. So, you know, from a philosophical perspective, he kind of grounded coaching in it It does make a difference. You said that was 10 years ago almost that you undertook your your master's. Yeah. So you, and, and altogether you've been coaching, as we said in the intro, a couple of decades now. So... In my 24th year this year. Oh, uh, 24th year. So... Let's assume there's some wisdom that comes with that. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> what advice would you give to people just starting out, you know, new coaches or aspiring coaches, maybe even for leaders who are looking to take more of a coaching approach? What advice would you give to those sort of the, the other end of their, their, coaching, their, uh, career. their coaching career? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, it was interesting, if, if, if I can just share a little bit of research that was shared at the conference, um, it was from Europe, but it looked at the age groups of um, of coaches, and my age group, um, which is forty to fifty four, and I won't tell you where I sit in that age group, um, is by far the largest. But what I thought was interesting was the um, um, the twenty five to thirty nine um, age group is almost as large. So there's a there's a strong pipeline of of new coaches coming into the um, certainly the European system, and I would imagine that would be replicated um, around the world. For me, I think there's there's a couple of things that the challenge with coaching is is that you can learn a lot about coaching, so you can know a lot about coaching, but your your skill is really about practice, and I think people underestimate just the effort that's required and um, and the value the value that you get from practicing. And so my advice is, you know, practice, practice, practice. Get out there, find just about anyone that 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 will um, accept a coaching conversation from you, and and just get out there and do it. I think a lot of a lot of new coaches get very much caught up on the process, which is fair enough because it's, it's, you know, it's a structured conversation. There's a, a process and framework that sits underneath it. So you want to be competent and confident in, in knowing what that is. But get out there and do it. Like, don't hold back. Don't try and find the best possible situation. And, um, and so, you know, practice. So whether it's at work, whether it's, you know, with... Um, 
with friends, whether it's in community groups, you know, the people that you trained with, just get out there and, and practice as much as you can. But I think one of the best ways to practice is, you know, obviously we know that the, the coaching is about asking great questions. You can practice your questioning in nearly any situation, anywhere, anytime. And so if, if you are constantly thinking about what question might I ask in this moment, whether it's at a meeting at work, whether it's at a dinner table, whether it's at, you know, just catching up with a friend and really reflect on that quality of the question, you know, in every single moment. You know, it might be a bit obsessive to kind of do it. But I think in terms of honing your craft and and, and really becoming confident in asking those questions, just every opportunity to ask a, ask a good question. And I think that the, if I can offer one other piece of advice, there are a lot of people like myself that have been in the industry for a very long time. And everyone that I know who is in that position is committed to passing on a legacy of a highly professional industry. And so there will be a lot of people that have been coaching for a long time that are very happy to help you to mentor. I had someone come up to me um, yesterday, um, so an alumni of ours, and um, he's looking to move into coaching full time and asked me, he said, you know, I'd, I'd just just like to have a few conversations, you know, just to, just to make sure that I'm on the right track. And I'm only too happy to, um, to, to do that. And there are hundreds, thousands of people across the world who have been practising coaching, who know it well, and are committed to, you know, their tiny part of the legacy of the professional industry. So, you know, find yourself a mentor or find yourself someone that can kind of help you along, along your journey because there's plenty of people. And I think that the thing is that, you know, maybe people are think that they're too busy or afraid to ask or whatever, but the people that I know are just waiting to be asked. And for those coaches who've applied themselves and have, you know, undertaken the practice and now have a number of years under their belt, I'm sure they'd also be interested in the insights that you could offer up around the difference that you see in terms of the difference between a good coach and a great coach? And this is a question that we've posed to other guests uh, before and I'd love your perspective on that. Because I feel you... like this is a bit of a test. No. <laughs> what's the right response? We want your response. <laughs> so you're, you, you'll have a unique position on this. But you, you, you train a lot of coaches and some of those people have, you know, been professional coaches for some time, some are brand new to it. And so what do you see sort of separates the, the good from the great, if you have some thoughts on that? Yeah. If I can answer a slightly different question first, but I'll come back to the good to great. What I notice in the, in the like you say, I've, I've trained a lot of people and there's a, there's a point in their development where there's a bit of a, a, a kind of shift in the way that they coach. And what they appreciate is that it's about who they are being rather than what they're doing. And when they truly understand that and are able to kind of bring that to the coaching, that's when there's a step shift in their, in their coaching. So I think that's probably when they become a good coach is, is, is when they, I see the, I think, see the humanness in, in what we do rather than the process. Um, but I think from, from, from good to great, I think the, maybe if I talk about personally what I've, I've noticed and I guess the areas of development that I think have helped me kind of be successful as a, as a coach is one being 
open to the whole person. And, you know, it's a skill to be able to, you know, to listen into everything that they're saying. But I guess with my systems lens on, I think what, what will help people be a great coach is realise that, you know, none of us are here by ourselves. And so often coaching focuses quite narrowly on, on you know, a performance goal or some kind of development goal. But as a coach, we need to hold the mirror up all around the person, not just for, um, you know, maybe the, 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 the sp- specific area that the organisation wants them, wants them to focus on. So again, like it comes back to not only having the conversation and maybe, you know, having a cognitive relationship with them, but it is about having a a heart conversation with them. You know, it's about listening into what is really meaningful for that person. Um, And I think once we bring that into our coaching, a lot of the processes we apply in a slightly different way, but it has a bigger impact for um, for the person that we're working with. I think the other shift is that when you realise that coaching is not about you as the coach, when you truly appreciate that actually the more that you get out of the way, the more that you give the space to the counterpart, the more that you are able to um, give them that safe space to discover, uncover, recover themselves, um, that's when coaching, I think, really hits its stride. Mm. Everyone wants to be coached by John now, (laughs) if they didn't before. (laughs) You've mentioned a couple of times the system and the ripple effect and you mentioned um, Sean O'Connor before. And having worked with you for a number of years now, this passion for a systemic impact of coaching and the, the consideration of the whole system is is absolutely something that um, is, is um, you know, such a strength of yours. I wonder if you could share a couple of stories uh, just of of that impact on the system. You know, so you're sitting in a one-on-one coaching engagement, working with an individual how are you factoring in the system? I know that's not, that's not a simple answer, but probably by bringing it to life with a story or two, we might be able to explore that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, sure. Um, so maybe if I share, like there's someone that I'm coaching at the moment and um, she has a, a very senior role in an organisation which is highly political and um, she's been given uh, almost impossible change um, agenda. Um, it's why she was brought in, um, she's done it before, yet it's, like I said, an almost impossible um, thing to achieve. So in my coaching with her, um, we very much focus on, on her and how she is and, and, and what she can do. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the performance goal. But in the absence of really understanding the system that she's operating in, and it's not about her finding that out kind of for herself, but who can she access in that system to get different perspectives around? And so one of the questions that I asked was, you know, who else could you talk to to get, to get an understanding of the system that you're operating in? And who else could you talk to that could give you support through this? Now, neither of those questions are particularly revelationary, really. But what that, what that happened, it sparked a thought that she goes, I have this network of people 
actually, I can access that person. I do have a relationship with someone. I, you know, I know that person that I could, I could go and ask. And they've worked in this organisation before. They've been faced with a similar situation. Interestingly, they were, um, they're a female in this organisation, and so there was a similarity around around that, given the culture of this organisation. So, working simply, working simply. Um, uh, you know, with the social system around this this person and getting her to think more broadly than her team or more, more broadly than, um, uh, you know, her manager or the, the direct people because there's there's people in the system that, that can give you both perspectives but both um, support. So that's a, that's, that's, that's a simple example. There's a, another lovely one which is... I did a uh, was working with a, a counterpart, and we had a, a, a kickstart to the year this year, and so we had about a four-hour session where we were doing a review of 2019 and looking into 2020. And what we did was essentially a stakeholder type map, and we did it uh, on the floor. We had pieces of paper of who and what. And this is a global company. He runs the the um, the APAC part of this organisation. And when we put all the people down, he was able to see, he was able to stand back and get that perspective about how all these people interacted. And what he realised was that the structure, if you look at the, the hierarchy and the way that the organisation is structured, isn't necessarily how the work gets done. And again, that's no, no big surprise. But for him to be able to move these pieces of paper around to actually work out What's going to be the best way? What's the network that actually gets the work done? And who outside of the APAC region, you know, have relationships and, and, and connections? And once he could see the system, he was able to, to, to work out with the limited time and energy and resources that he's got, where is going to be the best place to, um, to, to put his energy? And again, it's, it's so often, well... This is where there's a gap in the resources. This is where the person is challenging. So let me put my resources there. But when he stood back and actually looked at the whole system, he realised, and, and again, it's a, it's, it's a lovely coaching principle, that if he focused on the influences in the system and they were often the high achievers and they were doing a great job, but if he focused on them, he could have a bigger impact and, and have a more successful business. And so getting that perspective, standing back, and we did it visually and, and, and kind of physically with, with pieces of paper, he was able to see the system in a completely different way, which fundamentally changed his his approach to leadership and, and what he was going to do. So I'm sure our listeners are getting a picture of you working with an individual but also and how that individual might impact their system, but also I'm sure the system is impacting those individuals. In terms of setting up a system, if, if somebody has some influence over that and, and you've mentioned about, say, where coaching dollars are spent, for instance, but also I'm thinking broadly about things that either enable or inhibit, you know, progress against the things we're looking to achieve in coaching. What can an organisation do or what can a decision maker who's spending money on coaching or thinking about where that money should be spent, what can they do? You know, some of those factors that might enable coaching to be even more successful or to get a greater impact? 
Yeah, good question, big question. Mm. <laughs> Enablers and inhibitors <laughs> and everything. That's right. <laughs> but, a, but a good question. I think so there's, there's multiple parts of the coaching industry. So there's external coaches like ourselves, the internal coaching uh, kind of group cohort in the coaching industry is certainly growing larger and larger. The leaderist coach is being refined and, and, and that's still a, a very popular part. So you've got these kind of multiple levels of coaching. I think for organisations, what they can do is to step back, and I know Peter Hawkins talks about this when he talks about building a coaching culture, is really thinking about what is the strategy? What is So if we kind of step back from coaching for a moment and think about it from an organisational perspective, you know, what are we trying to achieve here? Um, what are the levers that we've got to pull? And how can coaching enable those, those levers? Because often what I find is that people go straight to coaching and they just want some either one-on-one coaching or some coach training or what, whatever part of the, the coaching uh, pie they're, they're after without necessarily having thought strategically about what they're trying to achieve or why coaching is the answer. There was a, there was a, great, there was a great question posed by uh, Christian van Neuerberg who works for GCI. He's uh, based in the UK and, and works specifically in education. And he asked the question, so if coaching is the answer, what's the, what's the question that you're asking? What's the problem that you're trying to solve? And I think that's the part that a lot of organisations don't ask. So they want the coaching. It's, the, you know, it's still the sexy thing, which is nice to be in the industry because we're in demand, particularly in emerging markets across Asia. But yet there's a, a misunderstanding or even just a non-understanding of what they're trying to to. To impact, so I would say that to you know, t- to take a step back first, and what are you what are you trying to do? Like for example, we're working with an organisation in Singapore at the moment, and they have a, a a wonderful intent that all leaders are, are able to coach. So you know, fantastic! It's lots of work for us. It's it's a it's a great skill for them to have. But my question back to them is why? You know, for what purpose do you want your leaders to coach? If you want them to invest in training, um, you've got to have a fairly strong, uh, a strong premise for them to invest in coaching. And they, they couldn't answer the question. I said, okay, so let's just take a step back and, and you know, what is, that, what is the strategy? I think one of the most successful coaching uh, programs that I've been involved with was with another organisation where what they wanted to do strategically, they said, we want to improve engagement. They got their engagement scores, their engagement scores were low. And when they looked into it, there was a leadership component and there was a communication component. And so they said, okay, so if engagement is what we're after, then the leadership uh, component, coaching seems to be the, the, the thing that will enhance the leadership, which will improve engagement. And so strategically... They knew what they wanted. It had the executive uh, sponsorship, and it was a really successful pro- program. So that's that's kind of one thing I think. Um, and I've kind of forgotten what the question was at the, at the beginning, but it's, it's kind of what there's we're enablers yeah. of yeah of the the outcomes that we seek. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the other thing is an investment from senior leaders to understand and appreciate what coaching can do. Again, 
what I've seen is is where you have someone on the executive who has either had coaching or uh, knows coaching, and if they can sponsor it, then it will enable uh, a far stronger appreciation and take up of of coaching across the organisation. Again, we're working with a um, uh, an organisation in in Singapore, which um, right across Southeast Asia, and. All the execs, including the founders of this um, of this startup, have had executive coaching, and so it's it's an interesting culture. Even though there's about six thousand staff, the top ten or so know what coaching is. So their teams are now going through coaching, which is what we're providing, and because their direct managers have experienced coaching and know know the value of it, they help them to carve out time for the coaching. They support them by saying, you know, what are you getting out of the coaching? So there's that kind of in-workplace conversation about what what coaching is doing. Um, and so, again, it's a slightly different attitude to coaching simply because they've started at the top and, and experienced it. The only other thing I'd say is, again, from a systems lens, I've talked a lot about the kind of social system, so the people and the influences and the nodes in the in the social system. I think the other area that organisations underdo hugely is in the structural side of things. You know, so in the in the recruitment structure, in the performance measures, in the development areas. You know, what's the role that coaching plays in that, and is embedded in those processes and. And systems, not so much as a conversation, but as a as a measurement or as an expectation, or as a behaviour that they're looking for, or in the recruitment process, is coaching something that you are recruiting for? Um, and so, if you look at the the kind of the the life of an employee, is coaching embedded in that, some of those more structural elements uh, from the right from the word, um, from the recruitment all the way through the, um, the life of the employee. And again, it's, it's not rocket science, um, challenged with competing resources, but just one or two things in each of those processes will hold coaching in a completely different way. And looking forward, as we, as we look to the future of coaching, and with the, the three areas in mind you mentioned before, either external coach internal coach, leader as coach, mm-hmm. what trends are you seeing emerging in, in say, those three areas? Sure. So I think with, with the external coaching, again, it, it's so market-specific. So the Australian market and even, say, the Sydney market versus the Canberra market with external coaches is very difficult to compare because the markets are, are driving quite, quite different expectations. In Singapore at the moment... One of the challenges that I have with external coaches is that there's an over-demand and an undersupply of good coaches. Now, that's fairly rare because in most markets around the world, there's an oversupply of, of, of coaches and, um, and an under-demand. Under so I think when we think about particularly external coaches, the market that they're operating in has a lot of, a lot of impact. Um, but I think what's, what's in terms of trends... I think the the quality of the education, coaching supervision, there's a lot of things that have been coming into the industry over the last 10 years or so that have found their place and are embedded now as normal professional practice, which is which is good. 
That being said, um, at the conference on the on the weekend, there was someone from uh, from the UK that really questioned whether supervision was worth it, whether coaches were actually doing it, and did it actually add value. Of course, <laughs> I had an opinion on that. And I was happy to share it, but I think you know things like coach supervision are becoming the norm. So I think that's that's a that's a trend. I think the the for the internal coaches, and I think this is probably the area of, of highest growth in the in the industry. The it's not quite happening at the moment, but people are aware of aware of the the, the need for this. And that's, again, the, like bringing some of those professional practices that we as external coaches almost take for granted, but embedding that with an internal coaching practice. You know, coaching supervision is a classic example. Most internal coaches are relatively unsupported for the work that they do, yet they're expected to do almost the same work that we would do as an external coach. And so organisations are realising that if they are going to build an internal coaching cohort, it's not just about sending them to a training course and then letting them loose. They've got to have some good processes, they've got to have the professional development, they've got to have um, an ongoing uh, you know, learning journey for their, for their coaching cohort. And they need someone to organise that. You know, they need someone to hold that community, that hold that coaching practice, just like you, know, you and Jane and Aileen hold the coaching practice for IACL. Um, they need people internally to hold that. Um, so I, I think internal coaches are probably uh, challenged the most because I think that they've probably got the, the biggest demands but they're the least supported to do it. But that's starting to change. I think the, the thing with leader as coach, the, the thing that I'm noticing is that it has moved from teaching them coaching skills as a, almost like how we would teach a, a coach to coach. So instead of expecting leaders to have a more formal type coaching conversation, sit down, go through, grow, whatever whatever it is, it's really starting to come to the fore that actually leader as coach is about those moments when I can ask a better quality question when normally I would tell. So it's not, a, not even necessarily a conversation but it's those, it, it's those moments in time where I push the thinking back to my team member or a stakeholder or, you know, in a meeting or whatever where I'm bringing that coaching approach. And I think there's a, there's a refined appreciation of what those moments are. And I think us as, as leader, as coach training providers have a bit to answer for because we've probably imposed our whole coaching kind of methodology on leaders unfairly. And so I think what's happening now is realising, well, yes, there are small moments where those conversations are good. So, you know, for your performance conversations or your, um, um, you know, your, your kind of more formal discussions. But the real power of it is that, you know, single well-placed question that, that kind of shifts the conversation. So I think that, that appreciation. And so I think what we'll see is, is the leader as coach training fundamentally changing um, from what it has probably been, which is really a, a legacy of professional coaching and coming into its own and even having its own set of competencies, for example, that are not professional coaching competencies like the ICF produce, but more uh, leadership, organisational, conversational, relational type, type competencies. 
I think we could talk all day, John. <laughs> I, could, I want to dip into each of these even further. So, you know, feeling there could be a need for a follow-up conversation here. But as we come to the end of our chat today, and thank you for being so generous with all of your insights and your time, I wonder for you personally how you both look after yourself from a wellbeing perspective as a coach. You've got a lot going on there and lots of thoughts and ideas, a lot on your plate. How do you look after yourself um, and your own wellbeing through all this? Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's a challenging question because I certainly, like I would imagine many people in organisations don't always get the balance right. It was lovely to see at the, the, the conference over the weekend that nearly everyone is speaking about performance and well-being so not only for the people that were coaching but for us as as coaches so to answer your question about about how I manage it so exercise has always been a, a really important part of, of, of my kind of well-being uh, practice I guess it's it's the thing that probably challenges me the most living in Singapore because I travel so much and so more often than not on a plane at night or with the time zones, there's kind of calls in the morning or calls in the evening, so time when I would normally be exercising. So that's that's something that I'm challenged with and really have to make an effort to um, um, to carve out. But I think that the the thing in terms of my well-being that I've I've really appreciated is my network of peers. Now I've got a peer supervision group, so that's a, a kind of a formal structure, but I have. And I guess the good fortune of spending twenty odd years in the coaching industry have a have a good network of people that I can go to around whatever I, I guess challenge that I might be facing. So I think having that support network and feeling comfortable to access it. Um, I know there's been times where I feel as though I should be able to deal with this myself. And the moment that I hear that I should, I go, okay, John, <laughs> you know, ditch that and just reach out. And like I said, you know, to, to advice for, for coaches who are starting out, you know, there are a lot of people who are just waiting to be asked to, to, to help. And I know that from my network, all I need to do is reach out and ask the question. And there's, you know many, many people that are only too happy to help. So I think from a wellbeing perspective, having that support network and not only in place, because I think most people do, but actively utilising that, that, that network is the, is the thing. I think for me, the other couple of things is, um, so my home is really important, uh, my relationship is really important, so having that non-workspace, I have a rule in our house that... I don't coach my partner, <laughs> so when I walk through the the door, no coaching gets done, and so it's lovely to have a coach free zone, as 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 because so much of my world is 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 around coaching, and <laughs> which is really nice because that means that I can whinge and complain and get go into telling and all the things that you're not allowed to do when you're coaching. So that but that home space is a is a real real oasis, and it's it's a um, a place that. Uh, I'm able to uh, revitalise myself. So I think that for me is, is pretty critical. So we're out of time, unfortunately. 
but I think we will need to get you back another day for a further conversation. But thank you. It's been fascinating getting your insights over, you know, about the last couple of days, but also about your experience that you've gathered over the last two decades. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, you know, I think for our listeners, it'll be wonderful for them to get those insights from you and that wisdom from sort of a range of perspectives. You know, you're talking about your work with individuals but also, you know, your work with organisations and we're getting a sense of the impact that that has. So, and the future trends too, you know, the where to from here. So We didn't even get into team coaching or anything like that, which is a whole other topic in itself. So, (laughs) no, thank you, Renaud. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. We hope you liked today's episode. If you'd like to get the next episode automatically, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please leave your feedback, questions, and a five-star review. Share this podcast with whoever you think would benefit from the topics we cover. Thank you to our hosts and special guests for the great insights gained in today's episode.